This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions. Today's big question, how can young people thrive in an ever-changing world? We're asking today's big question to Sharon Garrow. Sharon works as a child and adolescent psychologist specialising in education and wellbeing through strength-based practice. She's worked as a psychologist for over 15 years and is presently the head of wellbeing at Red Rock Christian College, an independent school in Sunbury, northwest of Melbourne. And she joins me now. Sharon, welcome to Bigger Questions. Hi, Rob. Thank you very much. Now, Sharon, you work at Red Rock Christian College. Now, this is not based at Uluru or connected to potato chips, is it? No, and it's not the School of Rock either, although that would be <laughs> okay, quite <right>. fun. <laughs> so, so why Red Rock? So it's actually, um, we used to be called Sunbury Christian College, um, but then we moved to a new location, uh, I think it was 12 years ago, and um, this area of Sunbury is actually called Red Rock. So there's a few different landmarks that are called Red Rock, but um, yeah, there's a big Red Rock, and so that's why why we decided to take the name so that we could um, just keep the authenticity of where we're based. So is it common to employ psychologists, particularly in small schools? Um, Look, I've been working in schools for um, probably actually nearly 20 years now and earlier on it wasn't very common. Um, It was only the big private schools that could employ a psychologist and usually they were employed and they sort of were off in a little, you know, annex the wellbeing team or the school psychologist. Um, And in government schools certainly um, there might be one psychologist working with 10 schools. So um, to be employed at Red Rock um, was a bit unusual um, but what was most unusual is the fact that they didn't just get me coming in as a consultant, which is what I often was in other schools. They employed me for three days um, Mm. And that was the testament to just how important they think well-being is. But the other um, thing as well, I think that was really unusual is from the get-go, my position was very much integral and embedded with the rest of the school. I wasn't off mm. yet in an office that just receiving referrals. Yeah, so you went peripheral to the school's vision Correct. and values. You're actually at, at the heart of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, Sharon. It's wonderful to have you today. We're looking forward to talking about well-being, particularly with young people. But to kick off bigger questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions just to get us thinking. Today, we're asking Sharon Garrow about how young people can thrive in an ever-changing world. So, Sharon, I thought I'd ask you a smaller question today about the challenges young people face in our world today. Okay, there's just Mm -hmm. one question and it's multiple choice. Okay, a survey of young people in Scotland was conducted in early 2020 about the things young people were concerned about in the light of lockdowns and COVID. Now, according to this survey, which of these things wasn't identified as a key concern for young people today? Was it A, fearing for the future? B, concerned about the educational impacts of COVID? Was it C, concerns surrounding mental health? Or was it D, worrying about an addiction to Fortnite? (laughs) <laughs> I was worried at first thinking, gosh, you're really going to, um, you know, make me see how credible I am here. But um, I'm pretty sure that would be D. <laughs> okay. Well, that's actually the correct answer. So you don't think that many young people today are worried about getting addicted to Fortnite? <laughs> young people, no. It's more of us parents that have got concerns <laughs> around that. Yes. Well, if, if you're right, Sharon. Yes. In fact, 96% of young people express some concern about the future with also large percentages worrying about mental health, well-being, and also the impact of their education hmm. because of COVID. 
uh, but mm. no one reported any concerns about addictions to Fortnite. So, Sharon, you're thriving because you passed. You got our smaller question right. And if we had a live audience today, they'd give you a large applause. Yeah. So, well done. <laughs> so, Sharon, it has been then a tough year for many people, particularly young people, as they're anxious about the future, the impact of lockdowns on education and mental well-being. Now, you're a child, an adolescent psychologist. Now, these concerns and anxieties, they don't surprise you at all, do they? They don't surprise me. That obviously they make me sad, but they don't surprise me. So we know that we know those statistics. You know, within Australia, Mission um, Australia does a youth survey um, every couple of years, and in 2018, where they surveyed 28,000 young people, it showed that the top three concerns were coping with stress, school and study problems, and mental health. So mm. in addition to now these concerns about globally what's happening in the environment, well, this year it has been a big hit for everybody so um it doesn't surprise me those figures but it makes me sad because for us with what our school is doing and what a number of schools are doing is that we've we've embedded some things that are actually helping them to cope better so i feel sorry for all the kids that are not able to access the kind of strategies that we have been able to yeah but these things that people, the young people are feeling, they, they are a concern though, aren't they? Are they these, these challenges that they're Oh, facing? they're valid. They're valid. Um, you know, we talk a lot about living in a VUCA world. So, you know, our world now is a, volatile. What, a what world, sorry? What's a, that? VUCA, a VUCA world? VUCA, so volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. And so change is inevitable and all of those things they're concerned about are very valid. They're not just you know, negative thinking or um, irrational thoughts, they're valid. And so what we need mm. to do is help young people know how to still manage and cope in a world that is a VUCA world. So in trying to deal with these challenges, the, the VUCA world, uh, what's been your approach? My approach, it started quite a while ago. So when I was working in a larger high school, I became really overwhelmed with the fact that so many students were referred to us in the wellbeing team, um, but primarily for stress and anxiety. So that concerned me first of all, but then it was overwhelming because we didn't have the resources to adequately help them all. Um, and the model that we used was what's called a deficit approach really, where people would be referred to us and we would deal with, work with them individually. What's that, when you say a deficit approach, what, what does that mean? Do they mean that they're lacking something in, their, in coping with these challenges? There's a few ways um, that make something a deficit approach, but primarily it's it's working at the problem end. So it's the crisis end. So we're waiting until things go wrong to intervene. Um, so yes, so those students were being referred when they were already in crisis or they were already showing difficulties. And then the wellbeing team was sort of there to try and help fix them or pick up the pieces and get them back on track. So, mm. you know, what if all the people, the kids that are sitting in classes that don't for whatever reason, access a psychologist. They still need the help um, and they're sitting there in class. So that's with my approach. I started to think about how can we actually help more kids learn about our bodies, our st stress, our identity and not wait until they're in crisis mode to have to help them. Until there's a disaster. So then you then did, did some uh, extra research uh, and, and you were studying a Masters of Applied Positive Psychology, which was instrumental in your journey. Can you explain a bit about what, what did you discover? Oh, look, it really was. And um, 
And I've got to say, I, I really think it was a God thing that I ended up in the course. It wasn't something that I intended to do. I was coming from a completely different angle, more on learning about educational strengths. But um, one thing led to another. A, a colleague of mine said that she was interested in doing it. So I, I rocked up. And my intention was actually, I thought, because it was at the University of Melbourne and, you know, yeah, that yeah. first day had me because on, on the first day, what I started to learn was there was actually a huge amount of scientific evidence that supported my view of working with students' strengths before addressing their weaknesses. So about having this preventative approach and not waiting until they're in crisis. So um, mm. I guess just to elaborate on that a, a little bit, traditionally in psychology, we've had what's called a deficit approach. Um, and so we've got all the criteria to know when people are struggling with a disorder and when are not doing well, but we weren't really researching a whole lot on, well, what things are they showing when they are doing well? And so it just stands to reason that if we want young people to do well, wouldn't it be better for us to show them what that looks like and encourage that rather than wait until they're not doing well and have to intervene? So this is, as you've said, uh, a strength-based practice. That's that's where you specialise in, and so that's really what uh, positive the the positive psychology is really trying to get at. Yep. working from strengths to start with. Yeah, working from strengths, working um, as a prevention. So actually increasing well-being and not waiting until we are suffering to intervene and do something, but to actually help us to be our best. Mm. So it's just it's different from just being optimistic about people. Yes, yeah. So, and this this is a misnomer that people have. So what they don't understand about a strength-based approach is that they think it can be just positive thinking or blind optimism. But what it actually is, is it's more of an effective way of helping students, um, but adults as well, because this um, this model is, is for adults. It's not just for students, but to harness what's strong in them so that they're better able to develop their weaknesses. So one of my mentors, um, Professor Lee Waters from the University of Melbourne, she talks about um, thinking about a remedial masseuse and how when someone goes to see a, a re remedial masseuse, they don't go straight for the sore spot that someone might have. They work around that area, the, the parts that are stronger, so that then when they have to deal with the sore spot, it can take the pressure and, and there can be healing. So the idea is, is we're not negating weaknesses, we're not discounting any of that, but you start off with what is strong to then support the growing process. Mm. Yes. So, but is this just another educational fad? Well, once again, um, you've used a very good word and unfortunately, it you know, it has been dismissed as that, even though, you know, if, if it's a fad, I think a fad doesn't usually last 20 to 30 years and <laughs> still going. Well, that's so uh, you then took it to the Red Rock uh, School and you thought about implementing that approach there. Uh, so you approached the principal. So were you nervous before that meeting when you were going to approach or propose this type of approach to embed in the school? Um, yeah, look, I was because, as I said, for many years, my experience had been um, going to school leadership, going to principals and explaining, you know, all, all of the evidence and all of these things for them to have a response of, yeah, yeah, like that makes sense. It sounds good. I agree with you. But then be met with, but we don't have curriculum time, we can't do that, you know, all the reasons why not. And for it to be, um, I guess, yeah, dis diminished um, and negated. In any case, so this time I came in with this idea. And so at first she too thought, look, 
you know, is this a fad? Is is this going to last? What's the evidence? I said, no, please read this book. And so I gave her a book on positive education in Australia. And, um, and she went away and read it. And it wasn't long, probably a week or so later that she came back to me and she said, yep, we need to do this. This makes so much sense. Um, and it aligns with our values. And so she was on board and, um, and straight away she went to our board um, school board and pr- promoted it to them and the amazing thing was is that they said this makes sense why would we not want to it put effort into developing the whole child and helping them to cope and experience mm. well-being along with academics so so yeah and from that point um, just everyone as our teachers our board have all they've got it and so it was the first time that there's been such cohesiveness with people having the same set of values and then making a way for it to happen. Mm. Now you say that this connects with the culture of Red Rock Christian College. So what drives the culture there? <laughs> Essentially, um, it's that, that understanding that we believe that each person is a uni- unique individual. Now, we're not all operating at our best. We all need to grow. And so for young people, you know, we often will say to people, oh, they're not resilient or they can't pay attention or all these sorts of things. But when we think about it, they're young people. They haven't learnt to do that yet. And so our approach is the fact that we're not going to punish them for not being able to do something. We want to help build their capacity and help them grow and develop these abilities. So that already was the value and culture of Red Rock um, because we do believe, as the Bible says, that we're all fearfully and wonderfully made. So like, Mm. you know, we thought there's no point in saying on one hand, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, but then the way that our behaviour systems are says, you know, you're getting punished for acting like this or, you know, you're in trouble for being like this or you're really distracting or those sorts of things. We want to help Mm kids change their behaviours so that it works better for them and for those around them. Mm. You have just mentioned a a verse from the Bible, from the Old Testament, uh, the book of Psalms, which says in verse 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So that verse is obviously very then significant to drive the values of the school. Mm, It is. It's one of our, like basically it's our foundation. So whatever we do, we come back to, you know, checking, does it honour? Does it honour that truth? So if we believe that truth, again, everything that we put in place has to honour that truth. So um, it does align with the fact that um, we all need to learn how to um, appreciate each individual's uniqueness um, at the same time, if people, so I guess I'll give you a, a, an example. You know, a common thing in, in class is you might have a student that's calling out all the time. Now, often a teacher, you know, will, will not have the language to know how to address that. So we fall back on habit and we might just say, look, stop interrupting or stop calling out or you're so distractible or things like that. Now that happens a lot and, you know, there's no blame there because we don't have any other language. But now that we know about character strengths and we know that each of us are fearfully and wonderfully made, that we have an identity and we have unique characteristics, we're able to say things like, 
you know, you're overusing your zest right now. I need you to dial up your self-regulation. Now, that sounds really odd right now because people <laughs> don't, bit, don't know yeah. about character strengths. But traditionally in psychology, we've researched what is wrong with people. Like how can I tell if someone has bipolar or post-traumatic stress or what have you? Um, and then it was around the year 2000 that um, Martin Seligman and Christopher Peterson, who are pioneers in this field, um, decided what if we researched what is right with people? So when people are doing well, what kind of things are they showing? So then we can see if we can grow these characteristics. So there was a five-year research project done where they researched all different kinds of cultures and religions and moral codes. And as they did that, what they came up with was that there are 24 character, character traits or character strengths, whatever you want to call them, that people most typically would use when they were doing well. So they're things like love, kindness, humour, self-regulation, creativity, etc. So these are known as the 24 character strengths. Now, what we know is that each one of us has the capacity to have those character strengths. They're inherent in all of us. For some people, some things come more easy. So for me, one of my top character strengths is kindness. To be kind to people doesn't take me any extra effort. It comes naturally. I feel good when I'm doing it. So when I'm in a position to use it and it's acknowledged, that helps my well-being. At the same time, self-regulation is apparently my 24th. So, <laughs> so what that means is that, yeah, I do struggle with, um, you know, resisting that second piece of cake or what have you but um but what calling, i'm now, calling out in class or calling out in class well or yeah talking over the top of people <laughs> is another <laughs> one of my bad traits but um you know i could say i could say well i just have no self-regulation but no what the science says is if i intentionally um, decide to increase that, I can. So no longer can I use an excuse that I don't have it because we can grow it. And that's what we're teaching the students, that you might be high in humour and humour is a good thing, but you also need to balance it out with self-regulation and with kindness because an overuse of humour can mean that someone can be quite rude and hurtful as well. Um, mm. And just, yeah, finally, you know, one a great example is we've probably all heard people that are really blunt and they might say, well, I'm just honest. That's just how I am. Well, yes, honesty is a character strength, but you can't use that in a way that hurts people. So we also can dial up our kindness so that we can be honest, but we can also be kind. We can't just say, I can't help that. So mm. this kind of approach what I love about it is that even when we're having behavioural conversations with kids, we're not shaming them in saying that they lack something or that part of their character is not good enough. But what we're saying is you need to use it in the right balance. And if you need to increase something else, here's the way to do it. Mm. And so you see that as being connected to being fearfully and wonderfully made. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So the Bible then also affirms that humans are also flawed. So isn't this approach just a bit too optimistic about human nature? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. So because as I've mentioned before, it doesn't negate our flaws at all. But by taking this approach, we teach students and ourselves how to modify our behavior and use our strengths in the right balance. So again, I guess it's that remedial massage thing. We're not mm. negating the flaws. We're not saying everyone is perfect. We all, you know, need, we're on this journey of growth of sanctification, but by taking this approach, it helps people know how to do that instead of floundering and thinking, well, 
gosh, everyone tells me I'm rude, but I don't know how to change it. Yeah. What we're giving it's, kids, it's, yeah, is the ability to do that. It's all that. too hard. It's all too hard. I can't change, but this gives you some tools and some um, some ways of actually growing. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, so then how has this approach changed the school? Well, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and say, oh, gosh, we have no problems at all. I've worked with schools <laughs> like that and I think you're joking me. But, <laughs> but I tell you what, what we have noticed and, and particularly over COVID, so coming back to when we started the session, um, we know that, you know, everyone is struggling. There are lots of things that we're having to deal with, you know, and might I say that stress is not bad. God created us and to be able to um, to know when things are not going well. And so we have that fight and flight system that kicks in. So stress in itself is not bad. So it's totally normal for people to be feeling stressed during COVID. But what is not good is when that stress stays flicked on for too long a period and then it ends up leading us into um, burnout or health problems and think mental health problems. So our students have still experienced stress, but because we have had this preventative approach and they've learnt how to look after their health, they know about how breathing can help make their fight or flight response switch off so that they're in rest and digest. They know how to focus on exercise. They know how to use their character strengths to promote well-being, the importance of relationships and so forth. What we've noticed is that during COVID, and remember we're in we're in Melbourne. Um, and so we have these kids this year have been online more than they have been at school. So they've been through a lot, but what they have known how to do is to implement these wellbeing strategies that we have taught them so that, yes, there may have been still some struggle, but they've coped with it much better. And that's the other thing about having a preventative approach. It doesn't say you will never suffer, but it says that instead of dropping down into those depths that could be so low or so stressful, Without it, we buffer against that so they can cope with it much better and they can bounce back and be resilient. And not only that, what we're seeing is that there is what is called post-traumatic growth. So we're actually seeing that a lot of the our students have, are not just bouncing back or coping with what's happened. They've come back and they're telling stories about how they actually become better and stronger through this stress and trauma. Mm. So this idea of being fearfully and wonderfully made has, has really made a difference to the students. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it has. It really has. Um, knowing how to harness their own identity, knowing the fact that they do have a say in what happens to their mental health um, and their, their life, that they are not just victims and at the whim of, you know, circumstances around us, that they can do something and it can help them get through. So what difference do you think this has made to the school culture? Our culture, um, you know, again, we are a school and kids are kids and there's different things that happen. But as an example, in our year eight cohort, the students began, we were watching their conversations that were happening and we were just noticing that, you know, a student might say, I'm really worried my mum has to go and get a COVID test and, and the ease at which the other students jumped in and said, oh, I hope she's all right, let us know how she is, you know, and things like that. Um, but another one is that without any prompting from us, that one of the students who knows that her top character strength is kindness, so she began sending little messages to people and encouragements and then what 
what happened is that the other students started to follow suit. And so what was beautiful about that, because I have worked in other schools, year eight is traditionally, you know, the beginning of that real trying to figure out their identity. And, you know, it's more trying to make yourself feel good and, you know, not really yeah, not having the time to think about how other people are mm. feeling and bullying is generally um, at its highest in year eight. So I find this amazing that our year eights were actually sending kind messages to, to each other and were following suit. So instead of feeling vulnerable for showing kindness, they were all encouraging each other in this and benefiting from it. Mm. So that's amazing to have a culture where it's kind of cool to be kind. Exactly. Now, they do say that uh, the relationship between a teacher and a student is a very significant contributor to how a student achieves academically. Mm-hmm. So how does this approach impact that relationship? Mm. I say this because our culture at school now is one that if students are feeling anxious or stressed or overwhelmed in class, they they might start to escalate. But teachers will look at that now, instead of looking at it as a defiance and as a behaviour problem, they'll look at it and know they're in fight or flight. So they now know what I need to do is actually prompt that student to go and have a walk or to sit in in all our classrooms, we have an area that's a calm down area and we teach all the students that it's okay, we all feel like that sometimes, but we can manage it. So we go off, we have our five minutes or our 10 minutes to calm down and we have the tools and strategies there and then we can come back and engage in work. So having a teacher that values you and that knows you for who you are and that helps you to manage yourself is gonna build the relationship between a student and a teacher. So number one, them knowing how stress um, and emotions impact on learning is is something that really builds that relationship. Number two, when a student, when a teacher actually can bring out and draw out the strengths of somebody, that really helps the student feel known and valued. And I think it was just recently Macquarie University did a study and they looked at that. They looked at what are the things that people remember about their best teachers. And the two things were that one, they were passionate about what they taught the number two one was that they valued me and they showed they mm. cared. So when when we are feeling valued and that we're cared for, when we're feeling known and when we're in a classroom where we can feel safe and we are not in that fight and flight, they are all um, situations that promote proper learning and engagement. Mm. Well, thanks so much for talking to us today, Sharon. It's been wonderful to hear your journey. So Sharon... How can young people thrive in an ever-changing world? I think how do they thrive in an ever-changing world? Number one, they need to know their unique identity and know that this is good, not feel bad for who they are. So they need to feel valued. They need to understand some simple wellbeing practices, how stress works in the body, how to calm down and know that everyone encounters stress. It doesn't mean you have an, an anger problem. It doesn't mean you have depression. We all need to learn this. They need to develop a practice of using their character strengths intentionally because that's also what will build well-being. They need to see that challenge is an opportunity to grow. And finally, you know, it's what's called hope theory, which is believing that the future look hopeful and having the strategies and the agency to make it so. Mm. And you believe that the Christian message offers a lot of the answers to those things? Well, 
I think that a lot of the things in positive psychology actually are very grounded in the Bible um, from looking at character strengths that all include the fruits of the spirit to yeah, thinking about the way that we think and in hope theory. So yeah, I think it's very, very aligned with um, the Christian faith. Yeah. Let me leave you with some of the Bible's answer to the big question. How can young people thrive in an ever-changing world? From Psalm 139, verse 14. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Thanks very much to our guest today, Sharon Garrow. Thank you so much, Rob. Enjoy Bigger Questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash bigger questions.